Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together today to celebrate your coming among us as one of us, your love in saving us. Lord, I ask that as we look at these texts that are so familiar, that you would highlight new things for us, that we might continue to push in to your love, and that you might touch our hearts with your word. Amen. Please be seated. I'll never forget the experience. I, uh, several years ago, decided that I was going to go out on a winter night, and I drove out of my house there. Uh, The driveway was marginally clear on Granger Avenue here in Lakewood. Drove down to I-90 on Larchmont and McKinley, turned on to 90 West. It was starting to snow, but I didn't have any fear because I had just bought new tires. And my trusty Buick was pretty darn good in the snow. Nice heavy car. Well, I pulled onto the traffic and all of a sudden, before I knew what was going on, I was spinning around in circles. And the next thing I remember after the seatbelts locked up was looking east towards Cleveland through my windshield and seeing four lanes of traffic as they stopped. As I had done at least a couple 360s right next to the Hilliard Bridge there. All stop. All stop. Well, the car stalled. I restarted it up. Everybody miraculously had stopped and no one had hit me. And I'd continued on my way. Not without a couple thanks to the Lord for preserving me. We know what Christmas is all about, don't we? We know that today we're here celebrating Jesus coming among us. We're celebrating Christ's Mass, His Nativity, here upon this earth. It's a night that changed all nights. It dispelled gloom and anguish and uncertainty everywhere. It's also a night that changed all days and all lifetimes, bringing comfort and peace in the worst of our days. For this reason, it's been celebrated throughout the centuries, and it's gone by different names. Christ's Mass, Christmas, Natalius, birth, Natavitas Domine, the birth of the Master, Weihnacht, Yule. All sorts of different names are given to this night. Why does Christmas have such staying power? Is it the gifts? Is it the songs on the radio? Perhaps it's the decorations and the lights. Perhaps it's whether people say Merry Christmas or not. No, I don't think so. While all those things are good things, none of them really give Christmas its staying power. You see, Christmas has had such phenomenal staying power across the world Because it's the night on which all things hinge. It's the night on which the destiny of mankind was changed. Not by ourselves, but by an all-loving God. All stopped on Christmas night. And that's why 
every Christmas since it was written, we stop after Holy Communion and all comes to a stop and the lights come down and we sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Why? Because it's an ongoing story. The power of God intervening, coming down and becoming man. You know, lots of men have tried to become God. Lots of men still try to become God. Women too, let's not be exclusive. And yet, only one time has God become man for us and for our salvation, as we say in the creed. If we look at the texts today, we see exactly what's going on. We see St. Luke, a trained physician and historian, writing to us about this famous night, this Christmas night. We start at the top, and Luke starts us deliberately at the pinnacle of power, describing none other than Caesar Augustus. Look with me at the text. It's Luke chapter 2. Verse 1. And in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus, the man who thought himself God. Caesar Augustus calls this census. And why does he call a census? Why are Roman cities, go, why do Roman territories go through a census? Well, it's to assert, number one, the political power of the empire. Do you see that word that's translated all the world? It's actually a Greek word, uh, oikomene, which means the known world, but also can mean empire. So all the empire should be registered. Censuses were taken to assert power. They were taken to implement taxation. And finally, they were taken to bring about conscription. <clears throat> Caesar is asserting his power, and Luke deliberately starts the Christmas story at the pinnacle of that power. Censuses were all about the man who thought himself God. We move down a little in the pecking order next, right? Verse two, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. It's a real historical event. We've found archeological evidence of these censuses. Quirinius, of course, is the local agent of Caesar, the governor here in the Syrian territory, or at least what the Romans called Syria, which was more properly all of Asia. And in this historical event, we go all the way down to the very bottom, seemingly, don't we, to a man and a woman expecting a baby. And all of Caesar's power causes the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, to take this arduous trek 70 or 80 miles from their home to Bethlehem. 
Verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Verse 4. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Caesar, styling himself God, commands this travel, this hardship, this stress. Can you imagine what that would have been like back in that time? To travel 70 or 80 miles? And it seems that Caesar's in control. But we're going to see later that all of this has been foretold. That in fact, while it seems that Caesar, the man styling himself God, is in control, in reality, God is in control of Caesar. Because way back in Micah 5.2, we're told that Bethlehem would be the place of the birth of the Savior. And so here we see Luke showing us that God's in control even when Mary and Joseph don't understand it. Even when Mary and Joseph don't know what's going on. And it gives us comfort too because we see that God's in control even when we might not understand it or might doubt it. Because Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. So Caesar is used by God here. Who's really in control? That's what Luke's asking us to ask. Verse 8 begins with a contrast between a kingdom of power and a kingdom of love. Look at verse 8, Luke 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy to all people. But what is this message? You see, we're so familiar with this text. It's so near to us. Of course, we, we just look at Jesus, great news, um, uh, Lord, Christ, all those things. We, we don't see the significance of what's going on here. But imagine yourself as the shepherds in the first century, or probably the fourth century BC, actually. Imagine yourself hearing this news. What must you have been thinking? The, the Christ well, what's the Christ? The Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one promised, the one foretold. And why is this good news? What, that he's lying in a manger? Yeah, that's got to get them scratching their heads, right? How is it that the Christ, the Lord, right? Those are two words used by the angels to define Jesus here. How is it that the Christ and the Lord is laying in a manger, that's a strange place for a lord, isn't it? We don't think of lords being born in the manger. They're born in palaces after all. But gee, you and I just kind of gloss right over that. But it must have been astounding for the shepherds to hear that. But again, it's part 
of God's plan. Where many people try to put God into a form that they would expect, God always breaks free from that, and having become truly man, once again shows us the error of our ways. Again, what's going on theologically with Jesus' birth? We have to dig deeper. Dig deeper. Look with me back at Isaiah 9, another familiar Christmas passage. Isaiah chapter 9. It was our epistle reading today. You're familiar with it from years on end, I'm sure. Most of us are familiar with starting with verse 2 there. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, right? Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. But it begs the question for us, what is this gloom that's being talked about? What is this deep darkness that's being talked about here? What's going on that God had to become man? Well, in this context in Isaiah, it's both specific and political. Don't jump to Christmas quite yet. What's going on in the Old Testament at this point is that God is judging his people. And his people have disobeyed him and turned to false gods and trusted in false kings. And essentially, they've gone and become pluralistic, multicultural in the worst sense of the word. Embracing other gods, embracing idols, turning away from their god, and trusting in politicians. Boy, that doesn't have anything to do with today, does it? And what King Ahaz in Isaiah had done, just to give you a little history lesson, is because of a threat to God's people, to, the, to Judah... He had allied himself in a pact with the Assyrian people. And then with the Egyptians. And the pact had failed. The, politic, the politics had gone up in smoke. And it was great gloom. Great distress. According to commentators on Isaiah 9-1, this gloom caused by, was caused by an emptiness and a darkness and a hopelessness. John Ostwald writes, empty, emptiness, sensing themselves in darkness, the Israelites' natural response is anger, diffused rage especially towards those who are deemed in some way able to relieve their problems, but are unwilling to do so. Hence, they curse their king and their God, and they continue to go into darkness and emptiness. This is a universal problem, friends. Don't think of this as anchored in the 700s B.C., this emptiness, this gloom, this darkness, this rage is the natural state of human beings despite what many people think. It's not something that's necessarily only the story of the Israelites. It's what theologians have called the human condition. It's what St. Paul calls our inability not to sin. 
And it descends to a point where we cease to be even a resemblance of human beings and descend to beasts. That all persons will descend to that if pushed far enough. God's point to Isaiah is to prove this to us. That this is the fate of even the best people when they put their hope in themselves and when they put their hope in the earthly powers. You see, man does not become God on his own, and man cannot even be man on his own, at least not in the best sense of the word. We're not just people that need to behave. We're not just people that need to think happy thoughts. We're not just people that need to be more compassionate or more virtuous or more responsible. That's not the answer. If it were, all of the philosophies and ideas in this world would have brought that answer about, and yet they have not. Look around you. Look around you. What's going on in the world today? According to the Columbus Dispatch, in 2016, one in nine heroin deaths occurred in the United States in Ohio. This is an epidemic, and it's hit all classes. And that's just one drug, or class of drugs. And you have to ask yourself, well, are these people just misbehaving? Are these people just bad people? No, they're lost. They've found themselves lost in a hopelessness and a gloom that offers a fake high, that offers a fake health and a fake goodness. They think that that fake high is preferable to life's cold reality. Look beside you, not literally, but look beside you in your places of work. How many people get stuck in addiction or behaviors? Let's not pick on the substance abusers. How many people get stuck in behaviors, trying to control things around them, trying to form things into their own image, deluding themselves into thinking that they're God? Look in you. What's the gloom that you struggle with? What's the thing that you are addicted to? Or maybe you're not addicted to it, but maybe you just can't get away from it, right? Maybe you find yourself continually stuck in it. What is that gloom? Is it that you're not satisfied because you think your job will somehow bring you significance? Or maybe you are the type of person that tries to control other people and tries to control their emotions because that makes you think that you're in control of things. Just see, friends, all of these things are part of the human condition. And if you, th you think that you can surely will yourself out of them by personal responsibility, you're mistaken. All of these things that people struggle with are not new. 
Oh yeah, it's true. New drugs come along, it's true. New um, habits come along. But they all can be traced back to the root of the problem, which is here in the human heart. All of it can be traced back to the rebellious will, the lie, the lie that the devil tells us that your life is pointless, so here, try this to make it significant. And you know, you and I can't solve that problem. You and I can't bring significance to our own lives, try as we might. You and I can't bring purpose to our existence because you and I are not God. Only God can do that. And that's part of the good news of Christmas, that God did do that. You see, we don't stop there at Isaiah 1. God intervenes to solve the problem. Look at chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. The prophet's talking for God. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. What's the yoke? What's the burden? What's the staff of the oppressor? What's the rod of the oppressor? It's not just intangible scripture, friends. These are real things that people struggle with. And the good news is for those tangible things. The good news is for those things represented here in this poetic language. Sure, it might have to do in Isaiah with the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Romans or the rulers exhort, extorting the poor in Israel in the Old Testament. But if we look at the root of it, the root of it's the same. And we look at the answer to it and the answer to it is the same. The answer to it is that God intervenes for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given in celebrating Jesus' birth you and I celebrate the commencement of our own life at least it's a rebirth for us of a life of significance why does Christmas have the staying power it has why do we celebrate it every year? Because in the birth of Christ, we see the only hope, the only person that's conquered sin, the only person that's died and come back to life, the only person in whom we can put our trust. The birth of Christ is the source of life for Christian folk. It's the birthday of the head, and therefore the birthday of the body, as Leo the Great puts, puts it. The life that confronts the darkness of our gloom. It's true, the Christian life can be difficult, but we do have purpose. We do have significance because of what God's done. And that purpose and significance and hope is far better than any temporary high or significance or delusion that we can make for ourselves. 
It's a hope that longs to free us. What did we sing in that hymn? Did you hear it? And yea, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. Have you received that gift into your heart? Christmas is here. Don't miss it. That hymn is just a fancy way of saying, all stop, all stop. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for all that you've given to us for our life, for freedom, for our freedom to escape those things that entrap us, for hope and purpose. Lord, I ask that each person here tonight might receive you as that gift, and if they've already received you into their hearts, Lord, that that might be renewed, and they might turn new parts of themselves over to your love. Thank you for the gift of Christmas. Thank you for coming and becoming man when we could not even attempt to be God. Amen.